and welcome back to JW Forwardcast, the show that helps former Jehovah's Witnesses pick up the pieces, put them back together, and build them into something awesome. So, this episode is one I've wanted to record for a while. It's all about the importance of establishing healthy boundaries when interacting with other people. It's one that's really relevant for XJWs because the Watchtower organization throughout your entire life has actually conditioned us to have quite a poor um, idea of what healthy boundaries are. Um, Watchtower is, by definition, it's a cult, it's very manipulative. And that means that in the way it interacts with us, it's actually quite toxic and tears down uh, various ideas about having healthy boundaries in our interactions with others. And so Alice and I look at some ways where we can re-establish. Um, first of all, we look at ways in which Watchtower attacks that concept of having healthy boundaries in your interactions with others. And also looks at we look at ways where you can start to rebuild uh, and undo the damage that Watchtower has done. And this is important because this isn't just about what Watchtower did. This is about interacting with everybody you'll ever meet in your life and can help us to sometimes spot um, behaviours in other people that are maybe unhealthy or that we don't have a p- want a part in. And it makes it harder for us to be manipulated um, or maybe emotionally blackmailed if we have a have more of a concept of what a healthy boundary is when it comes to interpersonal interactions. So I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Uh, but before we get to it, we've just got a, a little bit of housekeeping to do. So, first of all, I'd like to give a massive shout-out to some new supporters on Patreon. A huge thank you to Ethan Spencer and Laurie Quarry decola Thank you so much for your kind Patreon support, and I hope you're enjoying the rewards that you've got in return. And speaking of those rewards, I mentioned in the last episode that I've completely reshuffled the the Patreon uh, reward scheme. Now, all of those rewards are, those new rewards are now live on the page. So uh, depending on your um, support level, you should be able to get access to uh, Ask Me Anything episodes. Um, You'll be able to get access to the apostasy uh, commentary, which is on there. Um, you'll also be able to get access to that a new Patreon-exclusive podcast uh, called The Covert Files. That is a, a shorter show. It's probably about 20 minutes long. And I talk about kind of everything in there, from the latest stuff that's going on with Watchtower to things that are going on in my life um, and just a general kind of waffle that I talk about. So I talked about my New Year's resolutions in the first show that's gone up. I talked a little bit about Tony Morris and Bottlegate. And um, yeah, so that new first new show is up. I hope to be doing about two of those a month. Uh, we'll see how the time allows, but that's a another reward that's gone live on the Patreon page. Next up, I'm going to give you guys a little sneak peek as to what we're going to be talking about in the next few episodes, which are upcoming on the horizon. We've got a couple more of the listener question episodes, and we've had some really good questions being sent into us at the Forwardcast, um, either sent to us on Twitter, uh, posted on the Patreon page, or you can email email us, uh, jwforwardcast at gmail.com. And um, Alice and I, we've got two that we've recorded, and uh, if more questions come in, we'll record those as well. Some great questions that we're looking forward to answering uh, on the show. We also have a really cool interview coming up for you, um, which I've recorded um, just recently with a member of the JW survey team 
Chloe Leon. Chloe, um, she's got a really interesting story to share. Uh, unfortunately, when she was a Jehovah's Witness, she had experience of domestic violence. Um, it's it's one of those things I think we're increasingly coming to realise is a problem amongst Jehovah's Witnesses. And she discusses that, uh, how it affected her life, but also because this is a show about moving forward and coming to terms with it, she discusses how she was able to kind of process what happened and, and keep moving forward. But we also talk about kickstarting your career because since she's left the Jehovah's Witnesses, Chloe has really stamped the accelerator pedal on her career. And she's now traveling the world and she's working for all sorts of cool companies and is making really interesting things happen. So we talk a little bit about that as well. In fact, that's one of the focuses of the interview because as XJWs, I think we all, or many of us maybe had sort of like put the brakes on what we did for a living. Maybe we weren't really doing what we wanted, or maybe we were just putting the minimum effort in because we thought Armageddon was going to come any time. And then when we relieve the Jehovah's Witnesses, we realize that's not true. So Chloe discusses how she's been able to kick her career into uh, high gear and share some advice if uh, you might be looking to do the same. So keep your ears peeled for that one. That's coming up soon as well. And with that, the housekeeping is done. So grab yourself a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Or if you're a governing body member, grab yourself a nice glass of Macallan 12-year-old Hey, Tony, how you doing? And uh, listen to Alice Cheshire and I discuss the importance of boundaries. So, everybody, welcome back to JW Forwardcast. My name is Cobert Fade. I am a former Jehovah's Witness and now a disembodied voice talking to you on the internet. And I'm here with Alice Cheshire, who's also a former Jehovah's Witness, but is now also a professional life coach. Alice, how are you doing? Hello, Kova. I'm really rather well today. Thank you. How's your week been? Have you had a good week? I have had a good week. I've had a busy week, but that's also incorporated some uh, some exercise, um, uh, which has been, you know, all the endorphins have been flowing. I'm having a, a busy, productive week, feeling good, really excited about this chat today. Um, this is a subject that you and I have been talking about for so long, and I'm just really, really excited that we've actually got found some time to talk about this because this is just going to be aces. Yeah, because this is this is something we've touched on in previous discussions, but it's kind of it, it feels almost like it's a fundamental foundation of everything else. Um, and this this original chat came about when you found, I believe, a list on the internet, and you tweeted it. And this was um, a list that I thought was brilliant. And I, I think I remember think messaging you at the time and saying, you know what, this would be a perfect subject for a forward cast. And it's a list all about boundaries. Now, when we talk to people about having boundaries, what are we talking about, Alice? So for me, boundaries are where it starts. So there are a few in my view, fundamental things that lead to a happier, fulfilled, more productive life, to a, a, a life where you feel at peace, you feel at one, you're in flow, you're happy, everything's going well, you know? And boundaries are one of those core things that for me, along with understanding your values and having goals for the future, boundaries are something that's really important. Now, the thing about boundaries are they're going to be different for everybody. Okay, we are all individuals. So what we are not going to start doing is laying down lists of what your boundaries need to look like. 
But this list that we're talking about, that um, I found on the internet, I don't take credit for, you know, I, I didn't make it up. Um, but I found it. And to me, it just epitomized when I talk about the word boundaries, it epitomized what I mean. Now, these are um, they're not physical boundaries. So they're not about, you know, don't touch me, take your hands off me, that sort of thing. Although I think getting the psychological boundaries in place helps with all that sort of stuff. But these really, for me, are the core, um, the, 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 the ways that you treat other people by how you treat yourself. Self. So by having that respect for yourself and your own personality and your own individuality and what you will and won't tolerate, that is then how you set your own boundaries. And I think what we're going to come on to, to talk about when we go through these is by setting our own boundaries, we also make other people much more comfortable around us as well. Agreed. And the other thing we're going to touch upon is how, as former Jehovah's Witnesses, we may have severe boundary issues when we leave that cult, because we're going to go through each of these points and we're going to discuss how, in each case, the Watchtower does it, instills in us the exactly the wrong attitude. One of the issues that comes up if you've been in an abusive cult or an abusive relationship or anything that's abusive and doesn't respect you as a human being is that that other person or that other religion or that group or whatever it was, was very good at trampling your boundaries mm. and making you think that you weren't, you weren't allowed to have boundaries mm. and building up these kind of getting healthy boundaries for us psychologically is actually a brilliant way to stop predatory organizations, predatory people or predatory ideologies from victimizing us again. Because somebody with healthy boundaries is much more likely to spot a predator coming, and they also won't look like a potential victim to a predator. So this yeah. is another reason why boundaries are really important. So we've got 10 points we're going to go through. And oh, I think, Alice, you, had a, you just wanted to chime in there. Well, just the final thing I was going to say as well is that if you are someone, and I'm talking from experience here, if you're someone who's ever suffered from any form, or, and probably still do, you know, it's not something that gets, gets cured overnight, any form of anxiety or depression, what I would encourage you to do is as you're listening through these boundaries, actually, even if you haven't suffered from any of that stuff, but it's particularly helpful when you have, feel what it would be like to completely accept these boundaries into your life. Because what I found when I was reading this list and why it spoke to me was I would read one of these and I would almost go, ah, wouldn't that be amazing? Hmm. And hopefully by just starting to implement some of these things in our lives, we can start to also get rid of or start to address some of the anxieties that are running around in our life as well. So it's not just about the setting of the boundary, but it's also about how it feels when we've done it. There is a relief and a release. Absolutely. So we have 10 points on this list. We're going to go through each of them in turn. We're going to discuss how Watchtower tramples all over it. And then we're going to discuss what a healthy version of that boundary looks like. Actually, it's nine. It's nine. You see, one of this one of the boundaries is the uh, yeah the the ability to count. Uh, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> nice one, Cobra. This is why I don't work in any kind of financial or accounting uh, department. But they're so good that it's like they're a ten. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we've given you ten. You're getting one free. So let's go into the first of our nine boundaries uh, now. So, number one on our nine healthy boundaries is the following statement. It is not my job to fix others. 
Now, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, or you spend a long time as a Jehovah's Witness, you probably spent a lot of time being told that it was actually your job to fix others. It was your job to go on the doors as often as possible and try to fix others, because if you didn't, they were going to die. And if you didn't try hard enough to fix them, well, you were going to get mightily squished at Armageddon as well. And it's not just that particular job. If you were an elder or an ex-elder, you probably had the weight of the world dumped on your shoulders, that the ins and outs of the everyday lives of everyone in your congregation was your personal responsibility. It was your job to fix anything that went wrong, no matter how unqualified you were, no matter how bad the problem. It was your job as an elder to fix it. Now, there's actually probably many other ways in which the Jehovah's Witness organization um, did not do a good job of instilling a healthy boundary in this aspect. And if we were to sit here, we could probably do an entire podcast just on this one point. There's just one other point that I wanted to throw in here as well, because as you say, elders or ex-elders would particularly be feeling this. Your average everyday JW thinking about converting people, but Mm -hmm. also think about how the organization encourages you to rat on your fellow JWs. Yes. Think about how you were told that if you discovered that something was someone else was doing something, you 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 go to them and you know, we've all heard the ultimatum. You tell the elders, otherwise I will. And yeah. that was told from a couple of points of view. First of all, for keeping the organization clean, yada yada yada. Secondly, because if you didn't, you could be blood guilty because then that other person wasn't getting the guidance and the help they needed to readjust their step from the elders. So mm-hmm. there's all that stuff you just said, but then there's also about the snitching that if you didn't snitch on your fellow person, you were also then in the wrong. So that was another way that you were told it was your job to try and micromanage and fix other people. Yeah. And to be honest, if you're honest with yourself, when you were a JW, did that make you feel happy or did it make you feel kind of awful? And even if you didn't feel awful all the time, I'll bet it gave you a deep crawling sense of unease any time this potential of, oh, I might have to tell the elders about my friend, or I'm an elder and I've just been told about this problem, I have to dive into someone else's life, or I've got to go out on the ministry and if I don't do a good enough job, I'm going to get murdered. That was probably lingering at the back of your mind for decades. It sucked. So we've established just a few of the ways in which Watchtower made a mess of that particular boundary of, it is not my job to fix others. So Alice, now that we're out, now that we're not Jehovah's Witnesses anymore, and we don't have to give, uh, pardon my language, a flying fuck what the Watchtower says, how can we look at this boundary and implement a healthy version of, it is not my job to fix others? Mm. Well, the first thing I think, as with so many of these things, when we're talking about what something is, It's also important to clarify what something isn't. So this boundary, it is not my job to fix others. That does not mean I don't give a fuck about other people. It's not about being uncaring. And it's not about saying, I don't care what anyone else has done. As long as I'm all right, Jack, everything else is fine. Mm. That's not what we're talking about here. We are still going to be empathetic. We are going to care about other people. But it's about fundamentally establishing the idea that everybody is responsible for their own life. And Watchtower, in their particular doublespeak, on the one hand, they talk about everyone must carry their own load. But then on the other hand, they trample all over it. You know, hypocrisy. Who would have known? Um, But 
everybody is responsible for their own life. Everyone's responsible for their own existence. There's two things to that. First of all, if you are trying to fix, if you're going around trying to fix other people, first of all, you are trampling all over their own individuality and their own right to their own life. They have a right to live their own life the way that they choose to. We may not agree with it. We may not like the way that they're doing it. But at the end of the day, that is their right to do so. The second thing we're doing, actually, is we're showing them a hell of a lot of disrespect. If we think that what's actually best for them is for us to meddle and get involved and try to fix what we perceive to be the problem in their life, then actually what we're doing is we're saying, I don't trust you to sort your own life out. I don't trust that you have the ability to sort your life to solve your problems. Now, it may well be that they don't. It may well be that they they can't sort their own life. But who on earth are we to uninvited attempt to fix somebody else's life. Now, I've said the word uninvited because obviously there may be times when people turn and they ask for our advice or they ask for our guidance. Or maybe if it's someone we know well, there are ways of raising things and saying, I've noticed this. What's going on there? Is there anything I can do? Blah, blah, blah. But there's a difference between offering advice when it's solicited and it's asked for or asking if there's anything we can do to help and putting our own values and our own choices for our life onto someone else. And the third thing that this does is it takes the responsibility and the weight off of our lives. Because if we realise and if we come to accept that we cannot make anyone else do anything, everybody has their own choices. So if we suddenly stop trying to take responsibility for fixing everybody else, then that takes a massive weight off of us. Because at the end of the day, even if we wanted to fix everybody else, we can't. We have no power whatsoever to make somebody else do something. So let's focus, if we're going to try and fix, in inverted commas, anyone, let's focus on ourselves. Let's do what we, let's affect what we can change, which is ourselves, and give people the space, the autonomy, and the respect to allow them to do the same. Yeah. And this can be a real lifesaver because there are occasionally people you will encounter in your life who are unfortunately very self-destructive and who may be going down in flames. And if we don't have a proper understanding of this, if we feel compelled to try and help them no matter what, they might end up taking us down too. Now, this isn't saying that we shouldn't help people. As you said, I agree with everything you've said, Alice. You know, we can be compassionate, empathetic. We can look for opportunities. And obviously, depending on a relationship, we can talk to someone, you know, are you okay? But there are occasionally people we will encounter who we can't do anything to help. But if we try over an extended period of time, they could start doing increasing damage to us as well. Um, There's nothing we will be able to do to stop it. And this boundary gives you permission when you're encountering those toxic people and you realize what's going on to say, it's not my job to fix them. Mm. And I do not have to destroy my life in the process of trying. I'm not obligated to do that. And something that might be really useful to bear in mind when we're thinking about this, and it's possibly an extreme example, although it does, you know, there are going to be people in our lives who this applies to. But if you have ever read anything about addiction and helping addicts, drug addicts, alcohol, you know, really destructive kind of of addictions. 
there are lots of heartbreaking stories where addicts, their families and friends have tried to help them and tried to help them over any number of years, and it's never been successful. And when you speak with people who are dealing effectively and recovering from addictions, and they say, what was the final thing? It's always that they themselves realized that they had to do something. They've known for ages because people have been telling them, people have been telling them, but eventually they mm. had to come to that realization. You can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. And that can be really painful because you can be watching someone go down a really terrible path that you know is a destructive path. And as we've said, you can help and support and try, but if we become obsessed with this idea that we need to fix other people, like you've just said, if they're not for fixing, right now, then we can end up dragging ourselves into something which fundamentally we have no power over. No. So it removes that weight from us. We can be compassionate. We can try to help to our, to our best ability, but knowing that ultimately the final responsibility is on them. Yeah. And that sense of personal responsibility. And again, that's going to be a recurring theme throughout this, both in terms of taking personal responsibility for ourselves and understanding that other people have personal responsibility for themselves as well. So let's go on to point number two. So here we go. Point number two, it is okay if others get angry. Now, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you probably remember that it was very much not okay if other people got angry. It was absolutely your fault because Jehovah's Witnesses were supposed to keep the peace no matter what. It didn't really matter what someone else did to you. If you got angry or incensed over terrible behavior, that was a problem. You were disturbing the peace in the congregation. There's another aspect to this is that you don't, under any circumstances, want to make Jehovah God angry because he's a bit kill-happy. If you make him angry, do you remember this? If you celebrate birthdays, you'll make Jehovah God angry. If you celebrate Christmas, you'll make him angry. If you don't do exactly what the governing body tells you, you'll make Jehovah God angry. And when Jehovah God gets angry, he hurts you. Um, in very many ways, it has to be said that the, the version of God portrayed by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society does sound like an angry, drunk father. Don't make He's him angry. He's a bit of a dick, isn't he? He is. He's, He's a real dick. Don't get him angry or you'll see the bad side. He's, he's kind of like the Hulk, only much less cuddly. So you're probably very familiar with the Watchtower, how the way the Watchtower destroys this boundary. Alice, do you have any other thoughts on the way that XJWs might look at this particular phrase of it's okay to get angry and think, ooh? Yeah. I mean, everything that you just said there, you know, um, we were told, you know, as far as it depends upon you, be peaceable. If there's a problem, you know, um, uh, 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 try and keep the peace. Um, the thing about not stumbling others. Yeah. You know, as if in some way we are responsible for how other people are feeling. So if we do something and somebody else gets angry about it, somehow that's on us, even if it has nothing to do with them whatsoever. Mm. Um, but, you know, we, we all have been raised to try to placate, to try to make everything peaceable, regardless of what it costs us, mm. regardless of how small and tiny we have to make ourselves to fit into this tiny little box that won't upset anyone or, or offend anybody. But that's our responsibility. And that's what you get drilled into you over and over again that if something, if somebody else is angry with you, it's your fault for them being angry, regardless of what it is that you've done. 
Yeah, absolutely. So now that we've again looked at how if you're a Jehovah's Witness or possibly, as we've said, you know, coming from an abusive relationship or another abusive cult, you might recognize a bad version of this boundary. Let's talk about a good version of this boundary. Alice, how can we build a healthy boundary around this concept of it is okay if others get angry? So the main phrase that I would throw out here, and I think this applies in so many different ways, we are responsible for what we do. We are not responsible for what others feel about it. And an extension of that is we're responsible for what we say. We're not responsible for what other people hear. So what I like about that is that, again, we're talking about what it is. We also need to talk about what it isn't. This isn't giving us um, permission to be a dick. This isn't saying, I'm going to treat you like utter shit And then I'm going to say, well, it's not my job if you get angry. You know, that's completely on you. That's not what we're saying. We are responsible for what we do. We are responsible for what we say. So if we're acting like a dick, we're responsible for acting like a dick and stop bloody acting like a dick. However, what we're not responsible for is how other people interpret that. So if, for example, by following one of our boundaries and some of the other ones we're going to come on to potentially are going to be quite, you know, especially if we've never done anything like this before, people might be a bit taken about what, what you're setting a boundary. You've never done this before. If we're doing something like that, then people might get a bit affronted or a bit offended. You know, if we're, if we're used to just being walked over and all of a sudden we stand up for ourselves, people might get offended by that. Mm. But that is their issue. That's not our issue. We are not responsible for how other people feel. We are only responsible for what we do. And Going back to what we were talking about a second ago, if people want to get angry, that is their right. Those are their feelings. They're an individual. If they want to get angry, that's fine. It's not our job to tell other people that they don't have a right to be angry or that they shouldn't be angry. Try telling that to a woman by a bloke. When a man's just pissed off a woman and then tells her that she's got no right to be angry, watch the fireworks. No one has a right to tell anyone else that they shouldn't be angry. But what it's not, it's not our responsibility. And it is not our responsibility unless we've been a dick, in which case it is. But it's not our responsibility to then try and go and placate. Yeah. And what this does, this frees us of other people using anger as a control mechanism. Mm. Because, and again, this is something that happens in abusive relationships. If I get angry with you, it's your fault. No matter, even if what you did you was perfectly reasonable, hit. you made me hit. I mean, it sounds cliche. Yeah. It sounds cliche, but there's a reason that's a cliche. That kind of emotional manipulation is very common in abusive relationships. It's an abusive person or an abusive organization blaming you because you made them angry for not letting them walk over your boundaries. Having this mantra of, as you say, with the caveat that if if I think honestly what I've I've said is reasonable, the way I've behaved is reasonable, if you're still going to get angry about that, nothing I can do about it, that's fine, will take away that control mechanism from abusive people and from abusive organizations, and it sets us free. That's a healthy boundary because it keeps out people and organizations and ideologies that are toxic. Mm. And, you know, what you just said there has just reminded me that the most, you know, the, the, the emotional manipulation that they use, and one of the major ones that they use is shunning. Yeah. And when you talk to JWs and you put it to them about shunning, the, the organization turns it around the other way. They say, no, 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 we're not shunning you. 
you chose to leave the organization and therefore these are the consequences of your choice. You're making us shun you. Look at what you're making us do. Yeah. Which is just classic narcissistic emotional manipulation. And once you see it from that point of view, it's very difficult to unsee it. And that's why it works so often. And that's why so many people, even though they don't want to be, you know, we talk about physically and mentally out people, people who are terrified of walking away from the organization because the organization will use exactly this tactic and say, you're making us angry and you're making us shun you. Exactly. And as we've said, it's very much like the, 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 the abusive father saying, well, you know, you chose, you chose to walk mud onto the carpet. So you're making me hit you with this belt. It's that kind of just, it's, it, it, well, I think they call it victim blaming, essentially, I think is the phrase where you, you're blaming the victim for the fact that you're actually being abusive. Yeah. So, And, and in, in narcissistic terms as well, something that gets used quite a lot is something called DAVO, D-A-R-V-O, which is deny, accuse, reverse victim and offender, D-A-R-V-O. And if you think about it, that's exactly what, for example, the abusive father or the abusive spouse or an abusive organization such as JWs is saying, no, 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 you're not the victim. We're the victim here. You trampled mud all over my carpet. Therefore, I'm the victim and that's why I'm hitting you. For the organization, it's you chose to leave our organization. Therefore, we're the victim. We're the ones that are hurting, not you. And it's something that it's a narcissistic behavior and it's, it's very, very common, but it all comes down to this idea of control. Hmm. So remember folks, if we think it's okay, if it's okay for others to get angry, that means they don't have that power of control over us. So let's move on to our next point. So the next statement on healthy boundaries is it's okay to say no. Now, again, if you're a former Jehovah's Witness, you pretty much were told it was not okay to say no. Some things it wasn't completely um, gun to your head. For example, it wasn't really okay to say that you weren't going to pioneer, but you know they weren't going to twist your arm and send you off there. Um, it wasn't really okay to say that you didn't want to donate to the JW.org, um, you know, latest... Um, latest plea for money, but they didn't necessarily twist your arm. So some things it was kind of, they made you feel bad for saying no, but they couldn't force you. But other things, they downright would force you. You couldn't say no to Jehovah God. Anything that was considered a command from Jehovah God, for example, you will go in the ministry. Or for example, you will refuse a blood transfusion. Or for example, and this is a really a really awful one. If, if you've been in this situation, you are a victim of child abuse. Um, your abuser has been forgiven. And so you have to be nice to them in the congregation, which is unfortunately, as we're finding out more and more, that happens a lot. You were told that it was not okay to say no. And if you did say no, consequences would be coming your way. Um, Alice, how do you think that the the Watchtower organization kind of was a shining example of how not to respect this boundary? Well, I think everything that you've just said, so there was some so there was some really serious or, or, or quite, um, uh, I don't know if it's serious, I mean, serious is definitely the word, but, you know, things like that were hard and fast rules, like, for example, blood transfusions or, you know, 
sleeping with someone you're not married to or, you know, any of those things. And those were absolute hard and fast rules saying no. But what's really interesting is the more insidious ways that when you were, particularly if you grew up in, you know, if you were indoctrinated from birth, but even if not, the insidious ways that you didn't feel you could say no. We talked about this on another podcast um, relatively recently where one of our listeners asked a question about the fact she was going to a funeral Mm. And she knew that the elders were going to be asking her questions. Oh, it was Alice, wasn't it? Uh, April, sorry, it was April. April, that's right. Mm. Um, she knew they were going to be asking us, asking her questions. And as JWs, we didn't feel, even though it wasn't written down, there was no hard and fast rule that says you must always answer an elder's question. But we knew that's what we had to do. We knew that's the way that it was supposed to go. And so we would build up these beliefs that if an elder asked us to do something, we pretty much had to say yes. Stop wearing those tight pants, Stop tight trousers, tight pants. American versus UK. Yeah. It for, the, for our American friends, uh, Google what the English mean by pants and you understand why it becomes even more hilarious. Knickers, <laughs> basically. <laughs> underpants, but anyway. Oh, I like saying the word underpants. That's a good word to say. Um, but yeah, we, we, we were basically told that any direction from the elders, we were not allowed to refuse, even if it wasn't actually a rule, even if it was just that elder's particular opinion about something, about a TV programme, about a job that we were doing, about facial hair. Mm. None of this stuff is written down anywhere, but that was something that we didn't feel we could say no to. Also, smaller things like, well, you know, would you you like to go on the ministry with me this Saturday would you like to we're having a we're having a gathering on Wednesday night we'd really like to see you there you know or things like when the elders would decide that they were coming around for a shepherding call yeah and we see this quite a lot with people who have faded and are, are trying to get out of the religion that all of a sudden they get a phone call or a text message from an elder saying we want to meet with you we'll mm. come around or sometimes they even turn up at the bloody door and we have that problem you, challenge with actually saying no you often get threads like this on on the xow reddit um where someone says and this is not mocking these people this is like understanding where these people are coming from they sort of say the elders want to you know i'm faded the elders want to come see me what should i say in the meeting and what's brilliant is the xow reddit there are so many experienced xow's there so they say why are you even going to the meeting yeah they just say no just we would like no. to see what you no thanks and, um, and this is really interesting because, um, so yeah, there are so many ways that the, the JW community uh, or, or the JW organization rather, mm. and then implemented by the community, elders, CO, whatever, trample over this boundary. But what's the really key thing? And this is something that I have written out in one of my journals. No is a complete sentence. Write that down, right, people. No, thank you is a complete sentence. And there's a couple of things there. First of all, no, it is okay to say no. And first of all, no thank you, full stop, i.e. no explanation. You do not owe anybody an explanation for your no. Your no is your no. It's your own thing and nobody is entitled to an explanation to it. You may choose to give an explanation, for example, if it's a friend or a family member or somewhere where you feel that you... Um, you want to give them an explanation, but you don't owe anybody an explanation, least of all 
somebody who has been put into a position who actually has no authority over you whatsoever. So the sub the subtext or the or the the sub uh, subject uh, what's the word? This is the headline. This is the subheadline. Oh, the subtext. The subtext. Thank you. No, thank you. Is a complete sentence. And by doing that, what we're saying is we are taking responsibility again for our own boundaries and for ourselves, and we are choosing to express that no, we're not going to do whatever it is someone has just asked us to do. This applies obviously in, in JW world, but then when we're outside as well, think about all the times that somebody, a work colleague, a boss, a friend, a family member has asked you to do something that you really, really don't want to do. Mm, makes you, you feel uncomfortable different. or you just don't want to do it or yeah. it's inconvenient or there's other things you need to do instead. Yeah. Yeah. But for so many years as a JW, we were constantly putting ourselves second. We were always second to everybody else, to the organization, to anybody else. It was a whole world of people putting themselves second. I mean, who the hell ever was at the top of this of this pyramid. Oh, we know who, the, G, the governing body sat in their, their little office. But everyone was putting themselves second, so everyone got trampled on all the time. Yeah. Whereas we have to turn it around, and sometimes we do have to put ourselves first. And that is healthy boundaries. And this is very, again, this is very useful as we go through life because we will encounter people who will not want to take no for an answer and who may be toxic and who may try and start a negotiation which is not, to, especially if it's towards something which is not in our best interests. If we have a trouble saying no, we can be worn down or we can be so paranoid about not wanting to upset them that we eventually give in to something we don't want to do or that makes us feel uncomfortable or is not in our best interests. But if we have that mantra, it's okay to say no. And we say no, and they start to push at that boundary. Well, our response is basically, I'm sorry, what part of the word no was unclear to you? Now, you can be a bit more polite if you like, but the essence of the communication is this conversation is over. Mm. I told you no. Yeah. And something else that I saw the other day, and again, I, I think I posted it on Twitter because I thought it was so good, was if something is truly non-negotiable, stop negotiating. Yeah. So if you have something that you you absolutely, there is no give whatsoever, then as soon as you start saying no, because this and because that and because this and blah, 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 you're negotiating. You're trying to explain. If it's truly non-negotiable, stop negotiating. No, thank you. Full stop. Shut up. No one to stop talking. End of. So, Alice, are you OK to move on to the next point? Is she going to say no? She said yes, good, because if she said no, I'd have to respect that boundary, and that'd be a short podcast, but she said yes, so that's good. No, fuck off. Damn it. Well, thank you for listening to the Forwardcast, everybody. Uh, <laughs> so, so we are moving on to our next point. Now, this again, this is related to a lot of things that we've been talking about before, but it adds an extra little spin and an extra little angle to the idea of a healthy boundary. It is not my job to take responsibility for others. Now, this is linked into a lot of things we've already discussed as a JW. You were made, if you were an elder, you were responsible for the congregation. Um, and you were thrown into situations you had no training, and in fact, many, many times, no right to be in. And you may have felt profoundly uncomfortable with that, but nevertheless, you were told it was your responsibility, so you pressed ahead. If you were a Jehovah's Witness, sometimes you felt it was your responsibility to look after the spirituality of your brothers and sisters. And again, it ends up with you informing on them. 
And it may just have been, you generally felt as a Jehovah's Witness, it was your job to be the responsible person in a group. You had to constantly project a good image um, and make sure that everyone around you was doing the spiritual thing at a party. They were. I remember distinctly a few times people saying to me, well, you're the responsible spiritual brother in this party. Everyone else is a bit weak. So it's your job to make sure everyone behaves themselves. Yeah, believe it or not, they, yeah, Alice is killing herself laughing. They, I, I, I got told that a couple of times, which was like, which was like A, good, Sorry, they don't realise what I'm actually like. I, the, I'm just trying to imagine you as the responsible spiritual brother. <laughs> I was quite good at being that. Like, Damn, you must looking have awful congregations i know i know yeah <laughs> honestly i missed out on so much fun because i was being responsible sometimes <laughs> but it's funny because then i would have the weight of the world on my shoulders at this party thinking it's my job to make sure everyone else stays on the spiritual straight and narrow and if and something happened if yeah. something went wrong if somebody else in a completely separate part of the of the house did something mm. and that got back to the elders you would be the one who'd get the, get it in the neck because yep. you're supposed to be the responsible spiritual brother at the party and therefore it's your responsibility if other people choose to yeah. go and have a snog in the garage or something. And I don't even get the fun of going and having the snog. I still get my ass kicked, but I didn't even get the snog. It's like you you do the time without doing the crime. Where's the fun in that? But for me, that was kind of what I gravitated to when I read that. So Alice, what do you think about that particular statement? Yeah. When I read this, I mean, everything that you just said, but when I read this, my mind immediately went to being a kid mm. as a JW. Because when you're a child as a JW, you are told, one, it's your responsibility to convert classmates. Mm. And two, it's your responsibility to speak up when, so for example, at school, um, you know, and we've we've seen cringe worthy demonstrations of this, right? Yeah. There's a classroom full, and the teacher at the front says something about evolution, or mm. says something about God, or something like that. And the little JW child in front mm. of all of their friends, you know, as if they're not bullying, bully, bullyable enough, yeah. then is expected to stick their hand up and say, "Please, miss, you know, God doesn't actually think that." Or, "Please, miss, evolution isn't true." Or, "Please, miss, me, 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 me," and as a child, you're taught that that is your responsibility yeah. because you are responsible for converting all those poor other kids. That's on you. And that's where my mind immediately meant when I, went when I read this one about how, you know, from a, from a very young age, no, it's no wonder that so many JWs and ex-JWs suffer from anxiety. Because from a very young age, this entire weight is put on your shoulders that you take responsibility for other people. And again, mm. the idea of having to grasp people up as well as a kid. Um, so yeah, trample, trample, trample. So that's the bad version of this boundary. Now we're going to look at a healthy version, a healthy vision of the phrase, it's not my job to take responsibility for others. Now, Alice, are we saying that I have no responsibility at all? So for example, can I, can I stand there and say, I have no responsibility to feed my children, or I have no responsibility to my spouse or my partner? Is that what we're saying? What's well, a very interesting question, Covert. Um, as we've said before, this is not giving us permission to be a dick. Hmm. Um, well, you know, th there's the golden rule of, of, of Jesus, you know, treat others as you would like to be treated. Yeah. Um, I think a more modern version of that is don't be a dick. Yeah. So 
this isn't giving us permission to be a dick, okay? Everybody has responsibilities in life. If you I'm going to call this podcast episode, Don't Be a Dick. Just don't be a dick, basically. <laughs> um, everyone has responsibilities in life. This is not about shirking responsibilities. You know, looking after our children, being a good partner to our husband, wife, spouse, boyfriend. And just to say, being a good partner is different for every relationship as well. And it's also not our responsibility to put on what other people should be doing in their relationships. Two consenting mm. adults, as long as everybody's, you know, um, happy with the way things are and nobody's getting taken advantage of, you know, nobody else has got anything to say about that. Mm. And this comes down again to looking at what is our responsibility and defining those things and what is not our responsibility. So, we it, it, we don't take responsibility for what other people do. And what's interesting about this as well, which I was thinking of, was it's also not our responsibility most of the time to try to protect other people. Now, there are places where that is our job. Our children, our, our friends, our family, our spouse, there are certain places there where we do, obviously, you know, we want to protect them physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever it might be. But for example, something that we see a lot, particularly on social media, is people getting offended on behalf of other people. Mm. Now, that other person is perfectly capable of deciding for themselves whether they're offended. And they're perfectly capable of standing up for themselves if they're offended. But there are lots of um, people, and you see it all over social media, you know, not just particularly in XJW world, but in all manner of life. You know, that's what Twitter has become. It's basically become this, this mess of people getting offended. It's recreational offence taking, I think I heard it described as. Oh and, often, and often it's on behalf of people who actually aren't offended in the first place. No. I mean, this is obviously I'm, I'm sweet. Obviously, I'm not dismissing instances of, you know, actual sexism or racism or things that are harmful. But sometimes you find out that someone got massively offended on behalf of one person and that person's going, but, but I'm not offended. Why, why are you taking why are you taking offense for something that I'm, I'm fine with? That's weird. Yeah. And this comes down to this idea of working out what we're not responsible for. Now, again, don't be a dick. And I'm not saying that we don't stand up for our friends and we don't stand up for people that we love. That's not what I'm saying. But take a look at if, if this, and you know, I've done this before. I've jumped on the offended brigade. I've got offended mm. over what someone else has done, or I've tried to interfere in something that is not my responsibility, that is nothing to do with me. And we're doing a couple of things there. First of all, we are taking away the power and the autonomy and the respect of those other people. And secondly, my God, we've got enough on our plates dealing with our own lives. Why on earth are we trying to pile even more shit on mm -hmm. top of everything that we've already got to deal with? So we're not being kind to ourselves either. So that's the first thing to bear in mind. And then the second thing to bear in mind, flipping it around the other way, is that there are going to be people in this world who expect you to take responsibility for them. People who expect other people to make them happy, to make them rich, to make them safe, to make them feel secure, to be offended on their behalf. There are those other people coming from the other side. And what and those can be even harder to deal with because these are where we were talking about earlier about 
control and manipulation, people who blame you or expect you to swoop in and sort out the mess that they've made. Is that narcissism? Is that an aspect of narcissism? It it can be an aspect of narcissism, yeah. I mean, narcissism is a term that we've invented for people who act in a certain way. There are lots of different elements to it. But this is certainly one thing that they can do. They they expect you to take responsibility for what they've done. Hmm. And again, working out our own boundaries, and I feel like each boundary that we do is building on top of the previous one. So this hmm. boundary about it's not my job to take responsibility for others incorporates all the previous ones. So it's not my job to fix others. Somebody else has made a fucking mess and it's not my responsibility to fix them then I'm not going to fix them. Yeah. It's okay if others get angry. They may get really fucking angry that whereas previously we've always swooped in and saved the day and we mm. finally and suddenly say, actually, no, you cre- you created that mess. You mm. need to deal with it. I'll support you while you do. I will support you as much as I can while you fix your mess. Mm. But you have to fix your mess. And then finally, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no. I'm not going to come and fix that mess for you. Mm. And I think that brings us nicely, as you're saying, all of these points are building on each other. That brings us nicely onto our next point, which is I do not have to anticipate the needs of others. Now, this is an interesting one, I thought. Um, I think in JW culture, this, this boundary tends to get trampled on and we've kind of touched on it in a lot of ways, but if you've upset your brother or your sister or you haven't anticipated how they'd feel, that's kind of on you. And, mm. and I think that's the kind of, you know, you sort of like, well, you, you've stumbled me. You should have been aware that that would upset me and you stumbled me and that's your fault. Um, we tend to get a lot of that in the organization. I think a lot of the, a lot of the circumstances in which this gets violated, I think we've already touched on. But Alice, can you think of any that we haven't discussed yet? I think one of the main ones here is what you just talked about, which is stumbling. Yeah. So essentially, you're told that you mustn't do anything that um, uh, stumbles another brother, even if what you're doing is perfectly fine. Even if within the confines of the organisation and the rules of the organisation, it's perfectly fine. But if somebody else gets offended by it or might get offended by it, then that's a problem and we shouldn't do it, which essentially means that we basically spend our entire lives running around kowtowing to everybody else's thoughts and feelings. Mm. Um, so that is definitely something that um, that is, is brought out. But also, I feel like, and this is a bit of a tricky one, because again, it comes back to not being a dick. We're not saying don't be caring, don't mm. be um, supportive, don't be helpful, don't try to help others in need. That's not what we're saying. However... The organization pushes that too far because it makes you worry about everybody else before yourself. It makes you anticipate everybody else's needs before your own. And actually, that is completely the wrong way around. You know, every time you're getting on a plane and they give you the safety announcement. Yeah. And one of the things they say is if oxygen masks fall, if the cabin, if the cabin loses cabin pressure, oxygen masks will fall from the, from the ceiling, put on your own mask before helping anybody else. And you sit, you hear it every single time. We all know the safety briefing. What is the reason behind that? The reason behind that is if you're so busy helping everybody else, 
that you haven't helped yourself first, you're going to be no good to anybody. Another analogy we use in the coaching world is that you can't pour from an empty cup. If you aren't filling yourself up, you've got nothing to give. So you're pouring everything away and then you're left with an empty cup. You've got nothing. You've got nothing left to give to anybody else. Whereas if you are replenishing your own cup before you're giving away to other people, then everybody's sorted. You're okay and everybody else is okay. So Mm. we need to make sure that when we're thinking about the needs of others, we're not doing it constantly to the detriment of our own needs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's that, it comes back to that it's, it's, I don't have to anticipate the needs of others. Um, also, I think we can flip that around. And again, we'll touch on this a little bit more in the next point. We can also say, you know, and we shouldn't an- expect others to anticipate our needs, which again comes into communication. We have to be it's okay to ask for things we want. It's okay to tell people, I think, you know, how we feel. Um, it's okay to communicate our needs to people. So we don't have to anticipate the needs of others, but we need to understand that people don't have to magically anticipate and cater to all of our needs. Mm. Um, and I think this is what's coming on to our next point, which is... It is my job to make me happy. Now... This, I thought, was a fantastic one, because if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you've outsourced the job of making you happy to Jehovah. You've been told you nothing you do can possibly make you happy. And in fact, a lot of the things you want for yourself and a lot of your goals are quite worldly anyway, and you shouldn't really have them. Happiness is something that you don't deserve. It's undeserved kindness. When they talk about Jehovah God not destroying you at Armageddon, they say it's undeserved kindness. You don't really deserve it. But the idea is you can never truly be happy without God. All of your ability to make yourself happy, to make yourself contented, to live a fulfilling life has been outsourced to Jehovah God. Uh, He's the only one who can make you happy. Oh, and by the way, he's going to do it via means of eight rather weird old fat dudes in New York. So whatever they tell you to do, that's going to make you happy. Surprise, surprise. My impression of my memories as a Jehovah's Witness is it didn't work very well. I don't know, Alice, did you share that impression? Yeah, well, the thing is, when you were a JW, and this is why, <clears throat> so I sometimes, I really struggle when, and it's a, it's a natural response. There are some people in the ex-JW community, and I understand the response, but they, um, it feels sometimes there's a lot of judgment towards people who are still in the cult. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I try to remember all the time is that there was a time when I was totally 100% in totally 100%. I believed it 100%. However, there was always this little thing in the back of my mind that I wasn't as happy as I thought I should be. Now, the interesting thing is that for a very long time, I thought the reason for that was my fault. I thought it was because I wasn't spiritual enough. I wasn't praying enough. I wasn't throwing enough of my burdens on on Jehovah. I wasn't loving him enough. So I always believed, or I believed to a point, that happiness, that that if I followed everything from the cult, I would be happy. But I, because I wasn't 100% happy, I thought it was because I wasn't following it enough. And actually, what now transpires, and what lots of people then come to realise when they do leave the cult, is that actually nobody else can make you happy. Happiness is something that we make ourselves. And there's a couple of things to that, because first of all, if somebody else can make you happy, then other people can make you profoundly unhappy. 
Mm. And what you're then doing is you're outsourcing your happiness and you're not, you're giving the responsibility of you being happy to someone else. Now, mm. sometimes that's a great thing. Uh, partly, you know, there are things in our lives that bring us happiness. Our children may bring us happiness. If we're in a relationship, that may bring us happiness. But if we're not happy, first of all, with who we are and what we're doing, then it doesn't matter how much other stuff we've got coming into our lives, there's still going to be an empty hole. You hear of people who win the lottery and they think that, right, now I've got all this money, I'm going to be happy. And then, you know, hashtag spoiler alert, they're still as miserable as they mm. were before because they're still miserable, but they've got a load of money. But now that money is making them more miserable. Whereas if you're happy and something great comes into your life, you're going to continue to be happy. So um, I've talked and I've forgotten what your original question was, for which I apologize. I've had a bit of a ramble. <laughs> That's um, good. It was, a, it was a good ramble. Let's, let's see oh, if you can, I'll give you a couple of seconds to see if you can remember it. And, uh... um, but your original, yes, <laughs> your original point about 17 <laughs> years ago was about, um, oh God, help me. So I was talking about how it was basically as JWs, we outsourced the responsibility to make us happy to Jehovah God, right. whereas the reality yes. is it's our responsibility to do it. Yes. So that's a completely different contrast to the mm. world within the cult and the world outside of the cult. Because as you say, within the cult, we are expecting that the only thing, and we're told over and over again, the only thing that can make us truly happy is serving Jehovah. And if we're not truly happy, it's because mm. we're not serving Jehovah enough. And that's, yeah. the, that's the only way that we, you know, if we said to an elder or anybody, I'm not truly happy, well, you need to pray more. You need to go out in the ministry more. You need mm. to serve Jehovah more. Whereas actually on the outside, if we're not truly happy, we can then actually take responsibility for that ourselves and say, okay, what is it that I'm not doing that I can change in my own life, not wait for it to, to come from some divine being? Mm. What is it that I'm not doing and how can I affect my own change? And again, that's a really empowering thought. If you think about it, if you tell yourself that actually I have the capacity right here, right now, to be happy. I don't need a better job. I don't need a relationship. I don't need more money. I don't need um, a better car or a better house or any of those things to be happy. Yes, all those things will be lovely and they will come in time and you will get there. Don't worry. But if you, have, if you suddenly know that I have the choice and the ability right now, as I sit here, to be happy, what an empowering thought. And one aspect I took away from this as well was this really underlines the concept of personal responsibility. You are responsible for making yourself happy. And I've said this before on the podcast, the universe owes you nothing, nothing whatsoever. It is your job to work out what you want from life and then via hard work to carve what you want out of its cold, indifferent gaze. Now, it's absolutely true that nowadays we think, well, I have these certain rights. I have, I have this, you know, I have a right to this and I have a right to that. You do. But that's because the generations that came before us sweat blood, sweat tears, and sometimes gave their lives to give us those rights and to build a culture in where those rights exist. So if right now you're in a culture that believes you have a right, for example, to food, you have a right to... Um, to, you know, to not be violently assaulted, you have a right to be dealt with in the confines of the law. Those things only exist because other people are working their arse off to provide them. The default state is you get nothing. So 
that's actually incredibly empowering because it means that a you can't put your responsibility for making you happy and giving you what you want out of life into other people it's in your hands but that means the power is in your hands you have the ability right now to get up and start making changes that will get you to where you want to be to work out and so happy isn't necessarily running around skipping daisies and happy isn't necessarily driving ferraris and but if you are honest with yourself, and we've discussed this before, I think, Alice, about the blueprint for happiness yes. in a previous episode. Yes. You can start working on that right now. You don't need an invisible Jehovah God to make you happy. You don't need other people to give you that core sense of happiness. You right now have the power to get started on that road. Mm. And if th- there may be people, and, and this is no judgment because I used to think like this, and sometimes I still do, and this is this is a perfectly natural way of thinking. I can't be happy if I don't have a relationship, for example. And I've been in a relationship previously where I made that person my world. I made that person the be all and end all of my life. And I think I've spoken in a previous um, episode about a really great way to examine your life. Get yourself a piece of paper, draw a square and divide it into boxes. So three lines down and three lines across. So it looks like a checkers board, uh, uh, a tic-tac-toe. Tic-tac-toe? Tic-tac-toe, yeah. Noughts and crosses, like a noughts and crosses board. Yeah. So you've got nine boxes and then write in each of those boxes, a part of your life. So relationship, family, career, home life, philanthropy, hobbies, exercise, mental health, Mm. physical health, um, friendship, socializing, all these different elements of your life. And what you then have is you have a balanced life with all these different areas in. So if you contrast that with what I did with my life, I had one great big box that had relationship written in it, okay? Now, yes, when I had the relationship, I had a full life because I'd made him my life. However, when that relationship ended, I had a big box with nothing in it. I had a big empty box. Contrast that then, if you have a box that's got nine different squares, and it's got a different part of it in each of those squares, all these different parts of your life, one of which is a relationship, for example. If that relationship goes away, that's sad, but you have all these other parts of your life that are still there, that are still fulfilling, that are still meaningful for you. And so what it shows you is you don't, that there should be no one thing in your life mm. that makes you happy. Happy is having that full, balanced relationship. And if you think about it, a lot of those things you don't depend on anybody else for. You don't depend on anyone else for your physical health. Everybody can put on a pair of trainers and go for a run. Um, Mental health, everybody can practice meditation, mindfulness, um, get toxic people out of your life. You know, friendships and, and, and relationships and family is really difficult, but there are ways to build those things and to take responsibility for making those a part of your life. So you have everything you need right now to make yourself happy, even if you don't have the perfect relationship or the house or the car or the money that you want. Look at all those other things and get busy making yourself happy rather than looking to someone else to give it to you. And that's brilliant. And I think on that note, it's it's interesting to go to the next uh, the next one on our list because maybe you've been listening to us and you think, you know what, that's a load of crap. I don't agree with a single thing that Kova and Alice have said. You know what? That's fine because... 
Nobody has to agree with me. This is the next point on our list. Nobody has to agree with me. Now, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, everybody has to agree with you. If you're in the ministry and you're talking to someone who disagrees, it is not possible for them to disagree with you and be correct. Because if they disagree with you, they're going to they're going to get murdered at Armageddon. And what's more to the point is there might be a chance they're right, and you can't allow that. So no, you have to win the argument. If you, all of your Jehovah's Witness friends, very much, there has to, well, there has to be harmony in the congregation. Mm-hmm. Now, there's two aspects to this. One, obviously, is doctrinal. Um, everybody has to agree on the doctrine, because if they don't, they're, you know, they're getting a one-way ticket to Shunsville. But even in smaller things, I felt as a Jehovah's Witness, it wasn't really allowable for people to have disagreements. Everyone had to be harmonious. Everyone had to kind of like, well, let's just keep a nice, smooth face on things. You weren't really in a position where you could have just profound disagreements with somebody else, because then you still had to hang around with them. Um, yeah. And I'm not necessarily saying that if you profoundly disagree with someone else, you should just cut them out of your life. Because I have now, I actually have friends who I profoundly disagree with on a number of things, but they're still great friendships. Because this is something I want to come on to about the way that the healthy boundary actually sets you free. But I think that thing about, as a Jehovah's Witness, this this feeling of nobody has to agree with me, um, you weren't allowed to think that. And it was actually quite scary if you thought you'd said something no one agreed with because you might be in trouble. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that comes from the very top of the organisation. Because if you think about it, the governing body don't have any disagree. You know, they, they do not allow disagreements. If somebody disagrees with something that, that you know, comes from the organisation, you're given like, you know, one or two strikes, opportunity to, to recant, and then you're out. You're labelled an apostate. And as we know, apostates... Two JWs are the worst of the worst. They are the lowest of the low. They are worse than everything else you can be. Apostates are the worst. So disagreeing with the organization doctrinally, you're kicked out. What's ironic is that in the past, people have disagreed and said, actually, I think new light, uh, sorry, I think the existing uh, doctrine is wrong. They've been you know, kicked out mm. for apostasy. Subsequently, new light has emerged and actually, what they were saying was perhaps nearer to the truth that is preached <laughs> now. Um, I wonder if they're going to issue an apology to all of those people. Yeah, apparently well, they don't. Interestingly enough, the Watchtower themselves have discussed this, and basically, and I haven't got the references in front of me, but the attitude basically is: is they should have just. It's more important that they agree with us and keep pace with Jehovah's Chariot than than they be right, which is literally the definition of it's more important for you to do as we say than it is for you to actually be correct. Yeah. Just but, do yeah. as you're told. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this, this you know, and, and, and on, on the, the sort of more local level as well, all the things you just said about harmony within the congregation. Um, and so I think that leaves us with a head full of need, people needing to agree with us. Now, that, that results in a couple of things. First of all, it means that we find it very, or we can find it very difficult to uh, agree to disagree. So a lot of arguments, um, a lot of the time, arguments descend into what's called ad hominem arguments, which is basically you're arguing, rather than arguing about the thing that you're arguing about, it suddenly descends into mudslinging. Mm. 
against the other person or arguing about how you're arguing rather yeah. than actually talking about the, um, the, the subject that you're actually talking about. And good-natured disagreements, even very fiery disagreements, but a lot of the time it can end with shaking hands and saying, do you know what, I think you're utterly wrong, but I respect you for having that opinion. I respect your right to have your own opinion, just in the same way that I have my own opinion. So that's the first thing. It enables us to have um, more rounded, calmer disagreements if we get into our heads that they don't have to agree with you in the same way that you don't have to agree with them. Mm. The second thing it allows is a lot of the time, particularly as a JW, but then since then, a lot of the time people go around looking for validation. They're looking for validation of themselves. They're looking to be told that they're right. And a lot of the time being told that we're wrong is a really, really creep-inducing feeling. And it goes back, I think, to from an XJW point of view, we're not allowed to make mistakes. If we're in the cult, making a mistake could potentially get you reproved, shunned, mm -hmm. destroyed at Armageddon. Like, that's, that's how it is. If you make no. a mistake, if you're wrong. So therefore, we're constantly looking for validation of ourselves. Yeah. And the thing is, <clears throat> this to me comes down to knowing yourself and it comes down to finding your values and those are two things that we've spoken about quite a lot and what's really interesting is that as soon as you come to know yourself and you come to know your values it becomes so much easier to say I appreciate you don't agree with me that doesn't change what I think this mm. is what I think fine you disagree but I'm not being swayed um, yeah, so there are certain people that you potentially may have met in your day-to-day -day life where they agree with the last person that spoke to them. So you can be having a conversation, and you see this sometimes in large group um, uh, group dynamics. And this goes on to keeping the peace, which we were talking about earlier. Mm. But they will agree with whoever the last person who spoke was mm. because they're trying to be peaceable and they're trying to be nice and they're trying to agree with everybody. So that person says something and they go, oh, yes, no, no, no I agree with that. And then somebody else says something completely different. And then they agree with that. And essentially, they're just being um, uh, buffeted from one opinion to the next because they don't have any sense of what they believe and they mm. think. They are just trying to follow whoever spoke last. Yeah. And so when we understand that nobody has to agree with me, we are much more likely to say, well, actually, this is what I think. I'm going to listen to your arguments I'm going to hear what you've got to say, but unless I hear something that really is quite persuasive, this is what I think and I'm going to stand with it. And actually, it doesn't matter if you don't agree with me. We mm. can agree good-naturedly and we can go our separate ways. There are some people who find it really impossible to agree good-naturedly. There are some people who make it their mission to yeah. change everybody's opinion to their own opinion. And then that's where all the other boundaries come in where we can say, do you know what? I don't want to talk to you anymore. No, turn around, walk away. And social media, again, is a perfect example where you can sometimes see two people arguing around in circles mm. and circles, and it's clear they're not going to convince the others. Like, it's so much easier. One of the skills I found on Twitter, and also generally in life, is the ability to say, you know what? I don't think we're going to agree on this. Let's, let's shake hands and, and part amicably. Or, yeah. you know, let's, let's move on to another subject. And it is such a freeing life skill when you realize that it's like all of the the weight and the dread of getting into conversations of oh, i'm going to be sucked down into this endless argument well actually no you're not because <laughs> it's in your power to say okay well moving on yeah. so yeah yeah
take responsibility. If, if we start taking responsibility for our own conversations, that's taking responsibility for when we start a conversation, what we say in it, and mm-hmm. when to walk away. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to a next point, we have, I have a right to my own feelings. Now, again, we're talking about how all of these different points are kind of latticing onto each other to build a framework. Um, Now, as a Jehovah's Witness, you don't have a right to your own feelings in two major ways. One, you're actually not allowed to feel the wrong way about things. You're supposed to feel happy about being a witness. You're supposed to feel... um, disgust about certain behaviors so and one of the one of the things that strikes me is if you are a member of the lgbt community and you're a jehovah's witness you're supposed to feel disgusted about yourself you are not permitted to feel happy and secure and safe and um you're not permitted to enjoy your own sexuality you're supposed to feel disgusted about yourself you don't have a right to disagree um and the other is you're expected to um explain your feelings to anyone who asks particularly elders um, and again, we've covered this in um, in April's question, and also repeatedly. But you you don't have the right to sort of decide what you think about something and just keep it to yourself if you want to. So, Alice, what did you think about that statement? Yeah, I think first, I think there's there's two things which broadly follow what you've just said. So, first of all, the organisation hijacks your feelings. Mm. So I think we can all remember being at or actually being at a convention or even reading in a literature something that says. How happy we are that Jehovah has provided this spiritual <laughs> bounty, and how grateful we feel that la di da di da. Um, and you might not be feeling happy right yeah. at that moment. You might not be feeling grateful, but all of a sudden you think, "Oh shit! Sorry, I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be feeling happy right now." They hijack how you're supposed to feel, and so. From that point of view, they trample all over this point of, and and the key thing to understand about feelings, right? We do not have to justify our feelings. And again, this is something, and and this is a piece of advice for all you men out there. If you tell a woman (laughs) that she shouldn't be feeling the way that she's feeling, or she's not feeling the way that she's telling you she's feeling, uh, first advice, duck. Second advice, run for the door. If you tell someone that they are either not entitled to the feeling that they have or Mm. they're not feeling what they're saying that they're feeling, then um, first of all, how the hell do you know what somebody else is actually feeling? Are you inside their head? And secondly, nobody has to apologise for how they feel. It's how you feel. That is how you feel in that particular moment. You may not be justified in feeling how you feel, but that's how you feel. So let's get away from this point that we need to stop feeling how we feel. I've said the word feel a lot. Anyway, secondly, what it also means is that we have a right to our own feelings, but we also have responsibility for how we act on them. And this follows on from the previous point that we do not have to justify how we feel we do have to justify, or not justify to other people, that's not what I mean. Sorry, responsibility is a better mm. word. We are entitled to our own feelings, but we are responsible for what we do as a consequence. Yeah. Of responsible for our actions. Yeah. And how we allow those feelings to then dictate what we do. Um, so we're allowed to feel how we feel. We're allowed to be sad. We're allowed to be Um, miserable we're allowed to be upset and the organization Mm. never allowed you to feel those things Um, for anybody who ever suffered from depression or mental health and was in the organization and perhaps sought help from an elder 
they were told, well, you need to pray more. Yeah. You need to feel happy, focus on the good things, um, which is not necessarily a bad piece of advice, but it, it was all about, you shouldn't be feeling the way that you're feeling. Yeah. Start feeling a different way. You're, you're actually, committing an emotion crime almost in the way it's phrased. Yeah. Like you feeling this way is wrong and it needs to change right now. Yeah. Whereas actually feelings are, um, you know, particularly even negative feelings, there is wisdom and there is power in negative feelings because they tell us something. But our job is to control how we react to them and what we're using those feelings to do and try and find. So, for example, um, fear, if we're afraid of something, there's wisdom in that. Mm. If we can find the wisdom in the fear. Grief. Is a neg- it can be a negative emotion, but actually there's healing. Grief is part of our healing process. So there's nothing wrong with any of these feelings, but it's about sitting with them and finding, okay, what is this trying to tell me? What is it that my body is trying to tell me? What is it that my brain is trying to tell me? And then using the positive of that to motivate us. Mm, absolutely. And I think that's, that's a wonderful way of, of, of summarizing that point. Now, the final point we have, um, I think, is we've been building this lattice work of like little Lego pieces that have been creating this framework of what a healthy boundary looks like, and it's been growing and growing. And I really like this this one final point. And again, it's something that we might have to have a quick discussion on to decide exactly what this point means, because I think there's a slight dichotomy here in some ways, especially if you've been listening to the forecast and listening to us talk about the ability to move forward and um, self-improvement. This might be an interesting thing for us to say but the final point on our list of a healthy boundary is i am enough now what does that not mean alice because i feel there's a there's a dichotomy here between between what this does and doesn't mean does this mean do you think that we do not have to do anything to improve our lives improve our situation we can just sit on the sofa eat cheetos and watch it all go to hell well as a true life coach covert what i would actually do is turn that question around and say what do you think <laughs> uh-huh. so what i think <laughs> was that is You've asked me a question that, that quite clearly we both know that that's not what this means. So I would turn it back around and say, what do you think? Yeah. So what I think is this is talking about how we feel about ourselves right now. Now, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you were always looking to the future. You were always, real happiness was only going to come when Armageddon came. It was only going to come in the new world where you then you were going to be granted everything that would make you happy and all of it you wanted. And you were always told that you really, right now, you had a, you, the, Jehovah's kindness was undeserved. You were sinful. You were imperfect. And you shouldn't really feel too good about yourself because, you know, you were doing awful things every day due to your imperfection. And that it wasn't really within your power to fix, but you just had to look forward to that distant day in the future where God would graciously not murder you. And then you'd get the paradise earth. And then, then you could feel happy. Then you could feel complete. Then you could feel at rest. Then you could, then you would be able to stand in that moment and think, this is good. Now, that meant that everybody, by definition, was feeling miserable, not happy. Um, but let, let, let me rephrase that. Not all the time by definition, but Jehovah's Witnesses generally have a feeling that they're not good enough. They're not enough. They're told scripturally, you're not. You're imperfect. Right now, you're imperfect. You're not enough. 
you have to be better or you're unacceptable. Um, and I think that carries through into a lot of kind of lack of confidence, a lot of self-doubt and um, a lot of shame, a lot of shame. Yeah, shame. actually a lot of shame. And I think that carries through into a lot of XJW psychology as well. I know it certainly did for me. Alice, what do you think about that? I'm turning the question back on you. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. We, we spent, you know, years and years and years being told we are not enough. We're not spiritual enough. We're not perfect enough or perfect at all. We don't do enough ministry. We don't spend enough time at the meetings. We're not kind enough. We're not good enough. We're not loving enough. We're not worthy enough. We're not, insert adjective here, enough. And that feeling, even after we've left the cult, can Mm. follow on. Um, And lots of people are caught in this world. And I'll put my hand up and say that this is something that I confront, you know, every single day, as I'm sure so many people do, of I am not something enough. I am not skinny enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not kind enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not... Um, healthy enough. I'm not active enough. I'm not productive enough. I'm not selfless enough, blah, 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 blah. Enough, enough, enough. And all we're doing constantly is basically saying at some point in the future, I will be enough because I will be skinnier or I'll be prettier or I'll be richer or I'll be better. Mm. But all those things are saying is if we're saying at some point in the future we will be enough then what that fundamentally boils down to is right now i am not good enough generally in anything i am not good enough and that just feeds into serious self-esteem issues but the thing as ever when we're talking about what something is we talk about what it isn't mm. this isn't saying that what we should all be saying is, I am enough, sat here right now, I have nothing to improve upon, I don't need to work at anything, I don't need to work for my goals, I don't need to push outside of my comfort zone, I'm just going to sit here and stew in my own self-congratulatory soup and say, I'm enough right now, screw the rest of the world, I'm not going to do anything. That's Mm -hmm. not what we're saying. And this, I think, is what you were talking about with the dichotomy, Mm -hmm. that there are Two sort of what sound like opposing opinions, but actually they're not. Two things that we need to hold at the same time. That on the one hand, who we are right now is enough. We deserve respect. We deserve love. We deserve all of those wonderful things just as who we are right now. But that doesn't mean that we can't choose for ourselves to move forward. But the reason we want to move forward is because we have a vision of what we want things to be like in the future from a positive point of view, not because we are lacking somehow now, not because as a person, as an individual, as a human being, there is something wrong with us because there isn't. And one of the best ways of getting uh, getting rid of the fear of moving forwards is to simply accept that where you are right now is okay. And if you don't get that thing that you're craving, that you're desperate for, if you don't get it, it's okay because you're all right right now. Mm. And all of a sudden, what that tends to do is it takes away the fear of reaching out because the fear, when, when we're going for something, let's say we're going for a new job or a promotion and we've got a fear of doing it. What we're actually afraid of is that we're not going to get what we want. We're not going to get the job. We're not going to get the promotion and we won't be able to deal with it when that happens. Yeah. Whereas actually, if we say to us, well, so, you know, okay, well, I'll go for the promotion. I might get it. I might not. 
But either way, I'll be okay and I am enough right now. And all of a sudden that takes, again, this weight of stuff off our shoulders to say, whatever happens, I'll deal with it because I'm enough and that's okay. And I think there's actually coming to um, a conclusion on this particular point. I was reading a book on this, on this concept of as a JW, you're always looking, you can't really be happy now. You're always looking to the future. True happiness can only come in the future when I'm, you know, when the paradise earth comes. You can't really be happy now and it robs you of your ability to be happy now and almost makes you put off your happiness for the future. And I carried that with me into my XJW life. I was having conversations with, you know, friends and colleagues. And I think, I think I actually might have said this to you. I was having a conversation. You said saying, you keep saying when I do this as if your life hasn't really started. It's almost like you're constantly looking to the future and you're not, you're not here now. Um, And I was reading this. Sometimes you find wisdom in the most unusual sources. Um, This is a, a fantasy book I'm reading called The Dark Defiles by an author called Richard Morgan, who's actually one of my favorite authors. He writes some fantastic fiction. Uh, His book Altered Carbon was transformed into a Netflix show. The Netflix show was awful. Um, If you were following my Twitter at the time, you'd have seen me tweeting with increasing disgust as I watched each episode. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, There's a sequence in this book where... A character is talking about how he longs for the future. He's just longing to be out of where he is. And he's like, get, you know, his life at the moment is kind of difficult and dark. And he just keeps talking about this, this promise of a future. He's kind of been shown a part vision of that he thinks might be a part of his future. And it's somewhere he wants to be. And all of his focus is basically my life will start when I get there. This dim and distant past, this is all just awful. And he's talking to this kind of ethereal, creepy kind of spirit. Um... And this spirit basically tells him um, about this, this kind of the way he's looking to the future and looking at this wonderful kind of almost idyllic paradise he's dreamed for himself in the far distant future and all of the current things he's facing are behind him. And it says, this is a lie to yourself that you carry around in your heart because you'd rather not face the truth. And so the, the character in the book says, well, what truth would that be? And this ethereal spirit says that there is rest and there is motion. And that once set in motion, none of us are ever truly at rest again as long as we live. Though the only truly important thing is to move well while you can and to go to rest only when rest is all that remains. And I thought that was really, for me anyway, that was like a really nice profound statement because so many of us get caught up on, oh, when all this gets sorted, I'll be able to finally enjoy life. When I get that retirement, when I get that promotion, when I get that career goal 10, 15, 20 years from now, well, don't obsess about being happy in there because for all you know, that might not come. And the reality is even when you get that, you'll still be in motion. I think that, that, that truth is that once set in motion, we're all in motion and none of us ever really come to rest until it's all gone anyway. Mm. So if we start looking at life like that, it's about the journey. It's yes. not about the destination. So you are enough right now to start enjoying and finding satisfaction and confidence in your journey. And the future may hold wonderful things for you. And to have those goals for the future is fantastic and to work for them and then to enjoy the satisfaction of having reached those goals that you are enough right now to be find satisfaction and happiness in life. And you are worthy of being loved. You are worthy of respect. And you are worthy to have healthy boundaries that you can enforce for yourself and that you are accountable to no one 
over. So I think before we bring this episode of the forward cast to a close, do you have any closing thoughts on the concept of boundaries, Alice? Simply that um, as with all these things, when we start looking at self development, some of this stuff is going to feel uncomfortable and that's okay. As we were talking about a minute ago, feelings are never wrong. So if you set a new boundary and it feels uncomfortable, that's okay. But remember that all of these things build on each other. And once you push outside of your comfort zone once, it becomes easier to do so again. So the first time you say no to someone that you're used to saying yes to, that is going to feel awkward as hell. The second time you do it, it will be slightly easier and slightly easier and slightly easier. And all of these points that we've been building to fundamentally come down to that final point, which is you are enough. And so all of the things that you do when you say no, when you set a boundary, when you realize it's not your job to fix other people, when you realize that it's okay if other people get angry or they don't agree with you, all of those feed into this central concept that you are enough right now. And I think once we get that into our, into our heads and get past all of that crappy programming that we have, Honestly, it is like a like a, a weight being lifted off of your shoulders. It's not going to be there all the time. It's going to be times when you take a step forward and a step back. But honestly, this stuff is so, so key and fundamental. And I think it's, it's you know, I, I'm just really pleased that we've been able to have this conversation because I think it's, it's really important and really life changing cool and we hope you found it useful guys if you have found it useful um you can pop onto itunes or podbean or stitcher or whatever um app you listen to us on and you can leave us a review um five star reviews are always appreciated but if you want to leave us a one star review and a written review telling us that we're awful um i'll read it out on the show for a laugh and if you leave us a nice review i will also read that out on the show so um all reviews are appreciated but that's it from alice and me alice where can we find you online uh, I'm on Twitter at the Alice Jesh. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Covert Fade, and uh, we shall see you all next time.